Welcome back to the Replatform Podcast. It is myself, James Gerd, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Paul Rogers. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. Although I'm now very conscious that my jumper matches the background on the video version of this podcast. Camouflage. Yeah. Um, it's like sliced alone in Rambo, mate. You're a legend. Yeah, not ideal. Um, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm celebrating the fact that there has been cricket on today whilst working from home with a nice cheeky beer. So um, I'm going professional for tonight's uh, podcast. Um, so we're doing another Talking Heads episode. The, this is where myself and Paul kind of bat around uh, some, some questions, share our perspectives uh, and experience from previous projects. And hopefully it's of interest to me. Uh, and the topic tonight is, does the e-commerce platform choice really matter? So let, let's, let's talk about why we're discussing this. So it's fair to say the platform vendor landscape is pretty cluttered, wouldn't you say, mate? Yeah, absolutely. Increasingly so. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, people have their preferences. You know, based, that might be based on prior experience and previous jobs. And also, let's be honest, bias. Uh, we're, all, we're all human. We do have biases. Uh, you know, for example, I've worked with e-commerce directors who absolutely love Magento, but I've also worked with an equal number who really don't like it and won't go near it. So sometimes there is rational decisions behind it, and sometimes it's quite an emotional, personal uh, thing rather than any practical reality. So depending on which export source you read, the recommendation for which platform is best will vary. There are so many resources as well. You've got you know, Gartner's Magic Quadrant, Forrester's Wave, but they don't feature the full market. And there are so many other, so many platforms that are like niche um, players out there that aren't really on the kind of mainstream radar. And we've covered some of these in our, our podcast. So we've covered platforms like Centra, um, for example, or O-Commerce from a B2B point of view. And when comparing platforms, it often looks at face value like they do very, very similar things. Like it's a big tick box exercise. Yes, we can do all these features. It's very hard sometimes to, to, to tell the difference between them, which can lead you to say, well, is there any real benefit between or difference between them or does it really matter? Um, and that's why we're asking this question. Does it really matter? We obviously have our own strong opinions but we wanted to kind of try and work this through give give some evidence for why we think it does matter and give some examples of when maybe there's an easier option than doing a very laborious and complex platform selection project um, because let's face it it costs uh, it costs money to do it it takes time and it obviously takes you out of your day-to-day work so that's the context anything else you wanted to add Paul? No I don't think so I think that's covered it really um, yeah on to the next question. First. Right, let's get cracking on our devil's advocate rounds. So the first one is, is what are the key challenges with doing detailed platform evaluations and selection projects? Let's start with the why might some people not want to do it, basically. Yeah, so um, from my perspective, I think the main reason, you just outlined it there, I think time is probably the biggest one. Um, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of uh, the time, yeah, these projects have pretty tight deadlines, like tight timescales, and people want to make a decision quickly. Um, alternatively, you know, there's other people that have got strong opinions within the business, like you say, kind of biased. Um, but I do think it's become very important. And I think the obviously um, you in particular are an independent consultant and I am to a certain extent. Um, and But I do think nowadays this has become very complex and it's really important to bring in kind of external um 
like yeah advice i guess just because it's not just a case of choosing a platform anymore particularly with kind of how the headless uh side of things has grown and all of these new kind of best of breed platforms you it's not really a like for like anymore like a few years ago and we were talking about this earlier but a few years ago you know you had magento you had salesforce you had shopify if you're like a b2c brand now you've probably got 15 different vendors in that space and you know, some of them are uh, monolithic, some of them are headless only, some of us are headless headless first, some of them have got, you know, um, kind of different modules available. Like it's, it's, you can't really compare apples for apples. And I think that's why it's become such an important thing. And it's obviously one of the most important decisions an e-com business can make. Yeah, agreed. I think this is the challenge. There are so many different labels out as well. You know, headless is the buzzword and the obsession at the moment, but headless means different things to different platforms depending on how truly natively headless is versus a platform that's been retrofitted to be headless but it might not have a completely full and open api set you've got unified commerce you know, platforms like proximus use this spryker talk about unified commerce um so many different platform versions I, I think this is the challenge the challenge is to know what platforms you look at and why when you've got even if you took even if you're a big enterprise you take Gartner's quadrant and there's probably 10 or 12 platforms in there well, which ones do you go for? Do you go for the market leaders? Do you go for the niche players? Do you go for the visionaries? You, 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 and, and what does that really mean? And then, then it's also about how do you get meaningful information? Because it's, it's quite hard if you're new to this to unpick the sales speak and get to the heart of the matter and talk about not, can you do feature X? Like, you know, can you do omnichannel? Yes, we can. Great. But not can you, how? How does it work? What's native? What's customizable? How does it align with how we want to do it? I think that these are the challenges why sometimes people just go, whoa, this is too much. We just we we know other people who use Shopify will use that or big comment, whatever it might be, and that's the path of least resistance. Um also testimonials given distorted views because a testimony only exists because the client's happy or, or whisper it incentivized um to do this uh so a testimonial is you know you get given it it's not going to say we didn't like it or this wasn't good it's going to tell you the rosy side of it so i think a lot of that makes people a little bit reluctant if they're not experienced and have that practical view of we could make this work and do this in a, in a sim simple way um to make a better decision I think um, I think that due diligence piece now um, is critical, and I think there's just so many variables. To even like you say around the headless piece, you know, we haven't talked about proprietary platforms, proprietary technology within different agencies. Yeah, I think, and also like you know the the ecosystems around these platforms. I don't think I think you need to bring in specialists nowadays. It's just become such a a big, broad kind of decision. Um, yeah yeah and it's also it, it sometimes it's not it's not which e-commerce platform it's which platforms drive in the business need and sometimes people go for like a, a real enterprise cms or cms or crm whatever it might be first and go right we've picked that we now need to find the best e-commerce platform that, that integrates for this to give us our commerce functionality yeah. um so yes it's like peeling an onion uh where, where do you start so with that in mind that, that there are challenges and therefore the, the level of expertise and resources in a, in a business will, will impact, you know, the willingness or desire to do this. Let's talk about why do some businesses pick a platform without doing a selection? Because it does happen. There sometimes are valid use cases, but that then creates risks, and we will talk about those after. So I'm going to throw a few out, and then over to you, mate, to, to, to kind of like talk through from your experience. So for me, there, there's obvious one, end of life. 
you had, for example, Magento 1 to Magento 2, people who are, are, are bedded into the Magento ecosystem and uh, have already committed to that platform, and they go through the replatforming to version 2 because they've decided Magento ecosystem is right for them. That rarely happens, but it is a use case. Um, another one I've found prior experience. So a, a new person comes in and they have used a platform in a previous business that has a similar yeah, operating model, similar uh, um, business structure, and uh, therefore they decide that that's the right one to bring in because they already did their due diligence in a previous life. And then another one I think is interesting is invest investors. So I've I've worked for a, a, a you know, big globe, a big a UK retailer with global reach where. Um, there was a change of perspective in a replatforming project where initially looking at doing internal build and building out that, that engineering capability, but then a change of ownership and investment appointed a global SI who were the technology partner for that uh, that business's entire portfolio, and they built on a specific platform. So the decision was made for us basically. So those are the ones I've seen where actually platform selection just doesn't happen. It's a a, a, a you know, pre-baked decision. Yeah, so I think um, on so your point around investors, I think it's quite interesting, particularly like at the moment, like so much of the market or things that are happening in e-com is coming from investors just because everyone's you know putting money or like desperate to put money into e-com brands, technology providers, everything else. So I do think that's a, a really good one. Um, I think another one would be, so you've mentioned that you've added a note here around uh, integration for specific ERPs. Like not as much anymore, but for a while, I think ERP actually had quite a big influence. So we've had clients that have gone with Hybris as a result of using SAP, um, NetSuite and um, Suite Commerce um, was quite a big thing for a while, particularly in the US. Um, and that was, yeah, that was quite a big one. Um, and then I guess the only other one, you mentioned the SI. And I think the other thing that I've seen a lot of recently is where you know someone's working with SI, they're pretty happy. SI now supports multiple platforms. And maybe I think there's a there's been a lot of movement from brands that had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to M1 end of life and went maybe Salesforce, because that was the obvious one to them at the time, maybe M2. And then they've now done their three years. And they had a three-year contract, so they've then evaluated again. And actually, that SI has then enforced that decision yeah. or that kind of pushed a specific platform, be it like, you know, they now support big commerce or Shopify. Yeah. That's actually a big one, I think, at the moment. Um, but yeah, yeah de- definitely, because, I mean, somebody we both know very well, because you used to be business partner, Mark, Mark uh, GPMD, I brought him in on a project where, well, actually, the the there was the best approach because of the nature of the project was actually to to work with somebody who could listen to their high level requirements help guide them and recommend the platform they think technically and business wise would best fit um out of a subset of of, of platforms because the ones he works with were, were well aligned with that business and that simplified the process massively for them yeah yeah absolutely but yeah i think there's a lot of people that made a decision as a result of m1 end of life that have either stayed with that agency or since moved that have then started another re-platform within the first three years. And that's been driven by the agency they're working with now, be it the one that did the initial build or someone that's taken over since. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, um, I think like you say, your first point around M2, that was probably the biggest uh, thing to ever happen to the platform market because, you know, at that point, there were hundreds of thousands of, uh, M1 stores 
and you know maybe 20,000 pretty significant stores on Magento, 20,000 plus. Um, and suddenly all of those are doing reviews or at least a, a pretty high proportion. Um, so that's probably the biggest one that yeah made people just upgrade or migrate to M2. Yeah, I um, I'd say, I mean, bear in mind that I made the comment earlier about there are those situations where Magento wants to and people are committed to it. My advice is always to people when it's not just a a, a uh, like transfer migration, it's a proper replatform because M1 to M2 wasn't just a let's shift our data and it was architecturally completely different. So you had to go through a full full migration process. I've always advised people to do their due diligence and make the decision because if you if you made the decision two years ago that Magento was right and you've got a new architecture and a new strategy and vision, you've still got to make sure that's right. Even if it's a light touch due diligence where you just assess that that your rationale for using it awry, you should do that. And I, I definitely found a few people who who made who stayed with Magento having done that, but others who moved because they suddenly realized that, for example, the cost of ownership wasn't going to be as preferable anymore. Yeah. Um, right. So that's our let's move on to this. This to me is a key question. What are the risks of not doing a proper evaluation? Let me let me explain what I mean by proper evaluation to the listeners. I'm not talking about we spent six months on a mountaintop agonising at every last detail of our 286 functional requirements. I mean, doing your due diligence to know what drives your platform decision, what the impact of a, a platform will be, what the cost implications, etc. So, what are you, what do you think are the risks? And that can be light touch, heavy touch, depending on the size of the project. Paul, from your point of view, what are the biggest risks of not doing an evaluation and just going, I'll take that one? Well, I think um, the obvious one is, is just making the wrong decision. You know, I think we've both probably spoken to a number of brands um, re- even recently, you know, that have made that wrong decision and a year in, I think, are replatforming. Um, and I would say, I mean, that's the big risk, isn't it, really? Like, I think some of the worst ones I've probably seen um, has been with businesses that have maybe... Been, it's been a lot of it's been the proprietary platform to be honest um where people have you know been sold the dream they've literally just seen this this solution that might be like a slightly easier migration process a bit more like um white glove support they've been sold a bit of an all-in-one um offering or a very professional services heavy approach um and they regret it as soon as they start to try and you know really push the roadmap or do things in a certain way etc um and I guess that's where, you know, you need to really do your due diligence. You need to really understand how the pros and cons of all the different models. Um, yeah. And I think, um, you know, the M1 to M2 is another great example where a lot of people didn't do an evaluation and they actually didn't consider some of the SaaS platforms that are maybe a little bit more aligned with their team and their business goals and everything else. And then again, they regretted it. And I guess the real risk there is that you end up doing another CapEx project, which takes a significant amount of resource, time, budget that should be going into other projects it should be driving a business forward yeah you made an interesting point actually um uh, earlier about uh, uh, i think about you know having to redo it or, or having to realize and accept you've got the decision wrong uh, and there, there's a big impact on that in terms of the, the lack of trust that then builds in a business in your decision making capabilities and one of the, one of the things that i've always found really important in any platform selection project whether it is we've spent two to three days just workshopping it or we've spent you know, four to six weeks doing it in detail is having a structured process and a set of criteria that, that are agreed that define how you select that everyone buys into so that everyone who's a senior stakeholder whether it's finance 
e-commerce director, you know, the the the, the finite sponsor of the project, um, the day-to-day owner of it, they have all agreed and bought into it and understood the limitations and the impact and the risks at a high level so that if down the line in three to six months it all goes peak tong, that no nobody can just gang up on the e-commerce lead and say, you put this into the business because everyone bought into it and therefore you have a, a kind of group ownership of the issue because it becomes really political if somebody has pushed something and the others turn around and go, wow, but hang on a minute, you told us this was right. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most important things for that maybe like project lead internal or like product project owner internally as well because i've seen i've seen it the other way where they haven't done that you know someone's been given full responsibility and you know overall control over the decision and you know even if it's the right one you know people still aren't happy you know every most re-platforming projects you're going to have snags after launch you're going to have some level of short-term impact and then that kind of like blame piece um is hard to avoid unless like you say you've got everyone fully brought in yeah, exactly, and then it's a, a ever decreasing uh, circles of, of arguments, and uh, and and then basically here's the barriers between the different departments, which makes working together much harder. Um, the, the other the other thing I I think that doesn't get talk, talked about enough um, is total cost of ownership, uh, and if you don't do an evaluation. You won't get into the detail about the different cost streams that can, that can come out. And it's amazing how many people have their pants pulled down six to 12 months down the road where it's, oh, we didn't realise that there was this cost or we didn't realise that this cost was going to scale and increase at this rate based on our growth curve. And, and if you just sit there and go, OK, we're going to pick this platform based on you know, licence fee, you're missing a massive trick. I completely agree with that. And I think some of the clients that we've worked with recently – I've been shocked at like the disproportionate like OPEX costs against how much they're actually turning over, you know, how much they're aiming to turn over, like the size of the business. And I think, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think unless you do the proper analysis and really understand the true cost of ownership of all of the different options available um, and kind of understand where you're paying more and, you know, have a reason for it. I think, yeah, I mean, I've I've spoke to some businesses recently that, you know, are spending five to 10 times as much as they probably should be spending on a kind of annual yeah. basis. Yes, yeah, exactly. And um, I think another one as well for me that, that I, uh, I found in a, a few cases where businesses have basically implemented a platform and it's, and built and just processes have grown, not because they're the right process, but because that's how the business has worked to get things done. And those processes aren't that efficient. They take more time than they should. There's lots of workarounds. There's additional code to, to, to make things work. Um, and then if you if you just try and carry on as you've got and just put it into a new platform, you might not work with somebody uh, who can actually help you improve that and give you a better default out-of-the-box process. And you see this sometimes in, in, in things like order management, data flows within a business, and, and a couple of projects I worked on where where either the the, ven- the vendors um, solution um, specialist or the SI that's that's kind of pitching that pro- that uh, vendor is able to turn around and give really good insights about how we can actually strip out inefficiency improve processes so sometimes you get these additional benefits by going through a process that you weren't initially expecting yeah absolutely anything else that you've seen in terms of risk when people haven't done an evaluation 
I think that's the main thing, isn't it? It's really like understanding what the opportunities are and what the, it's, it's that whole, it's almost like a SWOT analysis, isn't it? Really like, oh, you might not position it like that, but really understanding, you know, what you could benefit, how you could benefit over a period of time from replatforming or, you know, some of the other platforms where you might lose out. And like, I think that point you just made around process is really important because, yeah, I mean, it might be there's a really good opportunity to simplify. It might be there's a really good opportunity to make something scale. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's just the opportunity of reviewing what you're doing, how you're doing it, and, you know, where you're allocating your time and budget. Yeah, t- time to pause, breathe, and think. And actually, that one other point I've, I've forgotten about is it's also about the getting the buy-in of, of key stakeholders. And a good example is customer service. And I've seen this in a project where a, a platform was selected it was implemented, the customer service team weren't closely involved. It was literally a, hey, guys, we're putting a new platform in. But actually, the some of the back-end processes in the admin systems for how customer services would access and retrieve customer-level information, the depth of information they could get, how they could use that information to you know, append it with notes, uh, you know, or quickly search for it, how they would handle um, you know, phone orders was not as intuitive as the system they've been used to. So from the start, those people weren't bought into the platform and they were very negative about it and also get their backs up and, and understandably because they're key stakeholders in this project. So sometimes if you don't do a proper valuation, you can think the feature might work and it might look good for you, but you're not the end user. And therefore, in, in practical uh, terms, when it's uh, being used in anger, it's not as efficient. And that can cost you money because if suddenly the time to do a, a, a real simple task is doubled, that's inefficiency and time lost. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, we talked about some of the risks. What are the use cases then um, when platform decision materially impacts business? So there's some of the functional areas where actually in projects, getting the the, uh, the platform right has a massive impact on the business. Uh, you were talking earlier about team capabilities, basically. Yeah, and I feel like for me, I think over the last few years, I... Oh, at least I've come to think that team is one of the biggest factors in all of this. I feel like team and cost are, yeah, just both um, massive. Like a, a lot of the time, so I was talking earlier about a project where um, someone I was speaking to who have a relatively small team have gone with uh, one of the kind of best of breed API first platforms, uh, not really understanding quite uh how big an impact that would have on their time to market for new features um you know the amount of time that needs to go into managing a development team um you know the time the, the amount of resources required to deliver that project and how much they actually don't know going into it and it you know they've been sold the dream as this kind of like you know and it is the right way to go for a lot of businesses where they've got you know big teams technical teams you know cto etc cetera, etc cetera. but for this uh, business it was a disaster they lost over a million pounds Wow. And, you know, they'll probably end up replatforming again in a year. And, you know, there's a lot of friction. There's a lot of there's a lot of lost opportunity to the business going through what will probably be a two year technology project unnecessarily. Um, and I think equally, um, there also there's an opportunity often to really kind of like simplify your business. And that's not always um, the goal. It's not always the need. But I do think that's um often a, a real benefit of replatforming is the opportunity to take you know you've got a small team you've got a small product catalog you know you're a brand um, realistically what you care about is 
being able to bring the right people to the site, being able to create the right customer experience, brand experience, um, and not, you know, and you don't want to, you want to reduce that kind of technical piece as much as possible. And, you know, you want everything to be simplified as much as possible. You want to have as much control over the front end as possible. Um, yeah, and I think aligning the platform and the tech stack of your team is really important because that can actually have a pretty significant impact on, you know, your roadmap as a business and the amount of time you're able to put into the things that will like move the needle or help your business grow. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, the functional sides as well, equally under, you know, really like looking at what you need to grow the business over the next three to five years. Often there'll be a lot, you know, particularly with things like COVID people have ended up kind of going into different markets or introducing different models, all that kind of stuff. But for a lot of businesses, the things that you know you're going to look at over the next three years, just kind of making sure that, um, you know, the platform allows for that. So you've mentioned international, that's a big one for a lot of platforms. Um, yeah. Um, how in your Because you've done a lot of uh, international projects, you've got a lot of experience here. What are some of the things that trip people up um, if they get the wrong platform selection? Like, wh- How does it impact the business? I think realistically, the biggest one based on the platforms that people are likely to go with now is the multi-store piece. And knowing, you know, you might launch a single store, but if you want to grow as a global business um, in order to effectively localise, in order to... Um, you know, avoid the FX charges, which we've obviously spoke about in the past, where you can um, only have, you know, where you're limited around kind of how you're working with a payment provider on a single store. Um, you know, the whole multi-currency piece, all the every aspect of internationalization, you might end up with 10 stores. Suddenly that's a very different proposition. Um, you know, you still you still might be limited in certain areas. You might be required to bring in a PIM, you might be required to bring in other third parties. And suddenly, you know, not not really like thinking about that just means that you can't really understand the total cost of ownership. Yes. You know? And even, I mean, like, I guess the obvious one would probably be Shopify. Um, and as much as I'm still quite an advocate of using Shopify for international sites. If you're really going to, you know, be a global brand and you've got a small team, that is going to take up a significant amount of time, just kind of building that out over time. And I guess that's that's the main one for me around international, I think. Yeah, exactly. Knowing whether the, the, the standard setup of the platform enables you to achieve your international vision natively or whether you need to consider going down the route of something like headless with a, a custom front end and with PIMS to achieve that. And yeah, the, the impact on your cost model is massive. And that point about FX rates is really important because the, the how different platforms enable you to settle into different um, currencies. Like do, do you have to settle into one standard bank account across different currencies and incur FX? Can you settle into the, into the right currency depending on the currency the person's bought in all of these things, suddenly you add these incremental percentage costs to the business, which oh, if you're scaling from a 1 million to a 100 plus million business over the next five years, that's a big chunk of cash that could be spent on development, on headcount, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of these, the um, the small, some of the platforms on the market aren't as strong around international. A lot of things can suddenly dictate that store architecture. You know, it could be, you know, opening different warehouses, um, yeah, different kind of requirements around front end localization, and yeah, that that is something that definitely needs to be thought about. Yes, um, another one for me is complex product data. So, 
if you have um, uh, lots of different uh, types of products and some of those products have complex data models, a good example is jewellery. So having worked with, with um, a luxury jewellery brand where you have um, the, the elements like the, the diamond and the diamond has uh, different properties, the four C's of diamonds, um, you have different um, um, shanks and there are rules depending uh, that define what what size of shank suits uh, has to go with each diamond, each ring type, and there are different costs associated with it. But the ability to create that data model that automates that process so that you 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 lose the complexity of having to manually um, set up every single uh, individual association. That that doesn't work easily on all platforms. Some some platforms. I mean, Magento. This is one of the areas where Magento is very very good enabling you to, to 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 handle complex product data models so that can that can impact it. it doesn't mean you you have to change the platform you ideally want just on that point but it means you have to think about how that platform will align with your business needs and often what other like so that pin we if, like going back to that pin point i think you know i've seen people scale very complex product catalogs with shopify um, but they have ended up using a PIM just to change the way that product data is managed and avoid risk uh, of like quality, I guess, or like, you know, avoid like just allowing people to input certain um, fields in different ways. And, and Shopify is getting much better at this now, but or gradually getting better at this. But I think, you know, if you were to uh, a business like the one you're talking about, if you had that on Shopify, realistically, I think you could probably do it. Um, but you would probably want something like a PIM in place just to make things easier for your product management team. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, how about B2B? What's your take on, on this? Because B2B is obviously this, this scale of, of some, some B2B businesses are basically B2C features and functionality. Others are more complex with you know, customer segments, complex pricing rules, you know, quotations, multi-tiered account management. So to, to what degree do you think B2B influences? I think um, I think that's one of the biggest variables at the moment that's impacting us because like, our average client is probably quite different to yours, where it's mostly relatively simple premium fashion brand or like somewhere thereabouts. But I think one of the and you know a lot of our clients end up going with Shopify, as you know. Um, but one of the biggest things is you know people wanting to do wholesale through the platform or already doing wholesale through the platform and what and the level of wholesale or B two B and um, and how that scales and i think the scale piece is the interesting one because a lot of platforms have basic b2b functionality um but you know if you need the data to come out in a certain way um or you know you need to scale that up and it becomes more complex and you have more advanced you know like credit rules or roles or you know cpq requirements all of that kind of stuff sometimes it can't be done with a platform um but i think that's you know it's probably the biggest blocker for shopify it's probably the biggest blocker for a few of the kind of newer platforms as well. Um, but that's one where that can dictate, almost dictate, or at least rule out certain platforms. Yeah, and, and also this this then leads on to, to being sure that you've understood the, the roadmap and the focus of the platform, because each platform has a different focus area. Yeah. And they'll all be stronger in some areas than others, and the next 12 months will, will show you where they're going. And if, for example, B2B is a critical capability and you've got, um, you know, beyond the basic e-commerce functionality needs, um, you, know, you know, having multi-tiered accounts where you have different permission levels for different users of what they can do, um, you know, uh, quote quote capabilities where customers can create quotes, 
sales agents can. Those quotes can be automatically generated into carts. Those carts can have the the um, account level pricing applied, etc. That's really important to know because if the roadmap is saying this feature set is not being developed, it might be all right now, but it might not be where you need to be in 12 months. So you've got to take that future vision into account. I think the the other thing on this as well, and this is uh, so going back to something that you always say, and I think this is an area where you're really strong. Um, so uh, no platform's perfect. You need to almost like prioritize some of this stuff. Like you're always going to compromise on a platform, and it's like you almost need to map out from a business perspective. Like you know, I've seen people actually take B two B out of their platform, go with Shopify, and then you know pull in like new order or something like that to to. Yeah. Uh, to rebuild how they're doing b2b or they've simplified it um and i think yeah that's the big thing isn't it it's it's figuring out where you can and can't compromise and what's actually really important to the business yeah and, and understand how that ecosystem achieves it because so b2b is not the, the core focus of shopify but yeah. you have blue bolt that used to have be a proprietary platform that's now a shopify partner but they have turned their b2b capability into an app for shopify so it, that might suit certain businesses and therefore you can remain in that ecosystem and achieve what you need. But yeah, exactly. It's a, it, B2B is definitely a, a key area that needs investigation. Another one, um, definitely down down your, your street in terms of experience, omni-channel. So what, 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 you know, talk us through some of the use cases where omni-channel will have an impact on the decision. Yeah, so I guess it depends on what you're doing. You know, if you're if you need like live stock lookups, you know, if you need like if you've got a really complex kind of order management or like a complex kind of uh, checkout journey, complex order management requirements in terms of you know split orders. Um, yeah, kind of doing like live availability lookups for uh, collecting store, reserving store, all of that kind of stuff. That actually, you know, again, certain platforms. I've seen scenarios where people have wanted to move to a platform, but actually, you know, there's certain teams within the business that are, or they're already fairly reliant on that kind of multi-channel piece and pushing people in store and they know there's business value behind it. And, you know, as a business, they, you know, they want people to go into the stores um, and actually that stopped people from going to certain platforms. And I've seen that two or three times where, um, I guess that's where people start to look at some of the more open platforms. It's often, I would say like usually, because a lot of platforms claim to have a lot of this stuff built in. And I think that's great. But usually for me, it's been, it's been more the open platforms that allow them to have complete control over how that kind of experience works and, you know, which, you know, stores they push or, you know, where they push that click and collect option, et cetera. And, and even that kind of like, you know, view of inventory across the two channels. Um, but yeah, I think that's a massive one. I think there's the lower level of omni-channel, some platforms are much better at and they've got built-in capabilities and that can be really valuable. But like the really the more complex side can yeah, definitely um have a big influence on which platform you choose. Yeah, definitely. And I guess my next my next one that I'm gonna throw into the mix. Uh, we're not, you know, there are endless numbers of functional areas we could talk about. We're just focusing on some of the key ones on this podcast. Um, but if anyone's got any areas they want to discuss further, please do get in contact with us after this. Uh, but marketplace for me, having, having recently done a, a market level assessment for a, a fashion brand that you know very well, um, you, you suddenly realise that depending on, on how simple or how complex you want the marketplace to be and how integrated you want it so that you're not do, having to have lots of manual processes for things like 
order management, handling returns, etc., handling sales commissions, because uh, obviously the you can have proof of concept integrate very simply, and you can extend the platform to 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 to, to add extra um, product types in, but. If you want full end-to-end automation of where a payment gateway is taking the commissions and managing that, where the orders are sinking into all the different third parties for fulfillment and the, any returns are coming in and updating and automating refunds, all that piece suddenly shifts the perspective of which platform over the long term will be the most cost-effective when you factor in all the resources that are needed to maintain it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I obviously saw some of the work you did on that, and I think um, that is it's a huge it's a huge market at the moment. And I actually think it's actually really complicated. Um, like a lot of people end up, I feel like a lot of people end up just looking at Miracle, but even combining Miracle with a platform, you know, it's, it needs a lot of due diligence. Um, yeah, and again, you you have a completely different way of thinking about TCO. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a really big. Um, area of ecom at the moment is actually really complicated. Yes, it is, and there are. I mean, there's loads of platforms out there doing it. There's relatively new startups that offer, I guess, I guess solid solid solutions, but not the in depth feature and functionality list and level of like reporting, etc. That the likes of Miracles and Sprikers do. Yocart is used quite. It's quite a popular platform. You you've got specialist platforms for marketplaces like Kokoriko for rental space. I guess you know likes of B and Bs where where the commerce transaction is renting properties, for example. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an area where you need to make the decision carefully because otherwise you could end up having to extensively customize and build on top of the existing platform. And you're all you're doing is you're shifting the cost and you might create more complexity of maintenance um okay so those are some of the use cases and as i said we, we can't possibly explain them all on on a, a short podcast but with with everything we discussed in mind what's your take on the on the final question should you always do a selection project i think i think we both agree on this which i think you should and i think the other thing is we're talking about this I think with a lot of the bigger platforms and the enterprise platforms, even when you're doing an upgrade project, you know, I've seen brands or businesses spend a million pounds on an upgrade and that's, you know, a good opportunity for them to review their, you know, their infrastructure or their tech stack. Um, but I think so nowadays, especially it's become so complex. There's so many, you know, threats and weaknesses and, um, and opportunities around this and around technology in ecom i think i think you have to um run these processes personally yeah i agree uh you know we, the aim of this was a devil's advocate question but i'm very strongly in agreement that you should always do a selection process however the length and complexity and depth of of, of information you get into will will need to be uh, you know aligned with the, the size of your business, the the um, the impact that e-commerce has, and your growth plan. So, if you're never going to be a massive uh, you know, uh, business, and it's only going to be you know, maybe a few hundred thousand or a few million versus tens, hundreds of millions, then you can do a lighter touch on it. Um, you know, if you're a pure play uh, brand and you're not a massive omni-channel business, or you're only single country, not international then the complexity reduces on that level as well. So I also think one of the key things in this is it's about, 
it's not about looking at 30 platforms. It's about starting off with that question of what are our business and technology principles? What is it that we want to own versus outsource and why? And what type of platform do we want to work with? You know, some businesses I work with, they love the idea of being able to control the front, as you do, a business you work with as well, Paul. They want to control the front end in-house. They want internal front end development teams so they can rapidly iterate and that suits some fast growth brands really well. Other businesses I work with, they don't have the resource, they'll never have the headcount, they will never achieve that level of internal control. What they want is a platform with a good admin system that they can just trade and focus on merchandising and trading and growth. And they don't want to worry about support and maintenance and hosting and any of that. So a SaaS platform like a Shopify or a big commerce will work really well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the ones we haven't, uh, just where you, that's a couple of things you've mentioned there that reminded me, and we haven't touched this yet, and I don't want to open it up too much, but there's subscriptions as well. And that's another one that's really interesting, like, because I think that has a big impact. You know, suddenly some businesses I've worked with have started doing subscriptions, and now they're, they're actually mostly focused on subscription. And that's an area where you can do it with most platforms, but it doesn't always scale. Um yeah, and that's a whole nother piece. But I think going back to the original question, I think you know all of this stuff just it just requires due diligence, doesn't it? And you know even like the BA process of really forcing them, you know, going through what, what do we actually want to do, usually it warrants it on in itself. Yeah, completely agree. So let let's do a wrap up of of key takeaway points. And my key takeaway point is if you don't do this and you don't do the assessment, the due diligence, as Paul said, and you don't look at the cost model piece, you can end up making a false steer and and end up with money down the line that you weren't expecting. A good example, I worked on a project for a, a premium fashion brand and we ended up um, doing a shortest comparison of, of Magento um, Enterprise versus Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Um, and halfway through the project, uh, we got challenged by the VCs to say, why are you looking at Salesforce? It's too expensive. We shouldn't be going down that route and I had to sit down and explain to their finance team about like-for-like comparisons of cost models and that Magento at face value isn't comparable because of the additional functionality that Salesforce had that was important and aligned with the key functional requirements of the business like AI, ML, um, search, merch, personalization and when you then factor in those additional systems you'd need to plug into Magento um, to achieve the comparable functionality, those costs scale as a business grows and the business is on a growth plan from 10 million up to 150 million plus. So you suddenly see by year three that those costs are huge and they actually dwarf the increment, the additional license fee of Salesforce. So that's why it's important to do this because it means that you're not making false assumptions and you're challenging any biases you might have. Yeah, I think... Um... My one is probably just, and this is quite generic um, and high level, but it's just think about what you actually want over like a period of time and and kind of bringing everything together and really understanding your goals. Like, you know, if you're not looking to grow significantly or become more complex, you might have a good opportunity to simplify equally, you know, if you're trying to simplify, but you do have something in two years time that might completely blow things up like just make sure you fully understand the the kind of i guess where you're going and align that with the platform yeah those are our takeaway points we hope this has been useful it was very much a, a, a you know a talking heads open discussion throwing around some ideas 
you know, it's not an exhaustive discussion. We'd love to carry on the conversation if anyone listening wants to have a chat or even if you want to challenge us on some of the stuff we said. Um, so thanks as always for listening and watching. Keep an ear open for the next episodes and do let us know if there's any topics or discussions you'd like to see us cover. Um, always looking for, for inspiration. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And also anyone who hasn't rated us so far on like Apple or Spotify, much appreciated if you could. It really helps kind of nudge our visibility in those stores. Um, wonderful. Take care. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.